0: Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you
1: start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Justine Lackey. Justine, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Henry, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, great to have you. This is a great topic that we have not done a deep dive on before on the show. We've talked about accounting and I've had CPAs on, But today, Justine is going to share her interesting journey, how she got to where she is today, and then we're going to do a pretty deep dive on bookkeeping, bookkeeping for small business owners. You want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode and other episodes, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Justine Lackey is the founder and chief wealth officer of Good Sense Bookkeeping. And she has had the privilege to work with many talented people across a wide spectrum of industries. Justine is a bookkeeping expert who specializes in helping creative professionals, service-based industries, and internet marketers all across the U.S. to stay in control of their finances. But really, the stuff we're going to talk about today as it relates to bookkeeping, I know it applies to any type of small business. Justine has. We're uh, 20 plus years of experience in the field of bookkeeping. Justine has been featured on Forbes.com, Entrepreneur.com, in Women's Day magazine, and in several podcasts and published books. So we're glad to have her with us here today. She lives outside of New York City, and so once again, Justine Lackey, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, so let's uh, start at the beginning where we usually do. What What did you do after college? I wasn't quite clear on that when I was doing the research. So give us the the highlights of that story.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, that doesn't shock me that you couldn't figure it out. So I actually, um, I went to New York City right after I graduated high school and was attending county college there, Manhattan Community College, and that's when I started. Work in the very first internet cafe that opened up in New York City. Wow. So, like many people in startups and such, I bounced from school and I didn't return for another eight years when I had my daughter. Interesting. And I actually graduated college in 2010. It took me 17 years, but I did it.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, well, by the time I finished school, Good Sense was already in motion and I was raising my babies.
1: Interesting. So, okay. So, where did you grow up?
2: I'm a Jersey girl.
1: Okay. So, New York City wasn't that far away, but that was where you wanted to go and and experience life and everything that it had to offer. I have to imagine.
2: Yeah, I was in a New York City suburb. We were only 12 miles outside yeah. of the city. Right. And I moved there at 19, and I stayed for almost 13 years. So, wow. yeah.
1: Okay. So, going back to school after you're an adult, and I think you you said you had you already had a child at that point when you went back to school.
2: Yeah, I had had my first order. Yep,
1: that's extremely hard. There has to have been a strong motivation. So why, what kept you motivated, and why did you go back to school?
2: Well, I, you know, it was very basic for me. It, it was it was about learning stuff. I think initially when I bit went back in, uh, I guess that was two thousand and two. I I was actually on a CPA track, and okay. I also just felt like you know it was important to me that um, you know I'd be a that my children had a college, you know, college graduate as mm-hmm.
1: as mom. Mm-hmm. So to model that, was, that, model that for them.
2: Yeah, to model that. And um, and I, I actually really enjoy school, um, which I, I forgot until I got back in. Um, but yeah, so really the motivation was was completing the degree and um, being a role model for my children. When I, By the time I finally finished it, I was, I've always been on a skill acquisition track. This is something I teach to my own children. So transferable skills are wildly important to me. Um, I don't think that having a college degree, in fact, I know it didn't, it didn't differentiate me in the marketplace. Um, So really, it really wasn't about, it was. Personally driven, not professionally driven.
1: Mm-hmm. But you did yeah. take obviously, if you were on a CPA track, you took some accounting classes. Obviously, so you got yeah. that skills. Training. Yeah, my degree
2: but, is in, is is in business administration.
1: Yeah, but yeah. what you're saying is, when you were first starting Good Sense, and even now, uh, you don't think it had much influence on why people chose you or not to do their bookkeeping. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, that is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, well, good. So, so tell us about what led to starting Good Sense Bookkeeping.
2: So um, I started Good Sons Bookkeeping because I walked out of a job when I was 22 or 23. I was working for a very difficult person in New York City, and I went down to a payphone, literally, which shows you how <laughs> long ago that was. A little bit ago. Yeah, just a tiny bit. And I called my friend who was a graphic designer, and she was also an instructor for Apple at the time. And so she said, "Well, come down, let's have a chat." And so her studio was really jumping off, and by that point. I had already had some QuickBooks experience. And she said, well, instead of rushing out to find another full-time job that's gonna stink, why don't you help me in the studio here?
0: Mm.
2: And that's how I started my bookkeeping career. I literally walked out of a job and took the subway to a friend's house and became uh, a bookkeeper. Wow. <laughs> and, and at the time I was, I was so poor that I would go to Barnes & Noble and just sit there and read accounting and small business books At, at the store itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and freelance bookkeepers, particularly in New York city are, they are unicorns. It's very, very hard to find a good freelance bookkeeper.
1: Why is that?
2: You know, I don't know. There's a lot of bookkeepers that are just very flaky, you know, they'll make an appointment. They don't come up. I mean, I haven't been in New York city in a long time, but, um, once, once i had this one client who led to another client who led to another client because the art world in new york city is very small um it was the it was a microcosm of time i mean it was like three months and then i my my schedule was not fully booked but pretty booked and then i got under the wing of an accounting firm who was like super excited to find somebody who was eager to do bookkeeping and and mm-hmm. you know i have an aptitude for it yeah i can see that um because people do have aptitudes for accounting just like they have aptitude for photography. And, uh, and so that's really what, that's how I became a freelance bookkeeper. Um,
1: so that opportunity with the, with the account of the CPA firm, is that kind of what helped you to, to stay busy and have some income until you had enough of your own clientele? Just tell me about that process.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I was single at the time. I wasn't a mom, you know, my, it wasn't, and have a terrible amount of needs. I had a rent control department. So like I said, my schedule filled up fairly quickly. And yes, this accounting firm, I became their go-to bookkeeper to refer.
1: Mm-hmm. But those were your clients. You weren't, they weren't their clients. You were able to keep those as bookkeeping clients.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Cause especially for like the bigger firms in New York city, Many of them just focus on tax prep of course, yeah. um, versus bookkeeping. It's just not, it's not an item that they're interested. It's not like what their revenue is based on.
0: Yeah, right. Um,
2: especially like it, it could be if it was a really large business, mm-hmm. but you know, they're at the time they're like, you know, we're not going to try to manage somebody's bookkeeping for a thousand dollars a year. It just wasn't worth it to them. So, right. But they needed somebody to do the work.
1: So from that first uh, gig with your friend at the studio, how long before you felt like, all right, this is a business now. This is generating enough income that that I have some confidence I'm going to continue to do this. How long of a period of time was that?
2: It was very short. It was like three to six months. Wow, that is very yeah. short. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and what happened is, is because – there was really two accounting firms now that I think about it. There was one freelance woman, a CPA, and I got under their wings. And then they really, they really, you know, they nurtured my career because they taught me tax law and they taught me about journal entries and they taught me about, uh, you know, depreciation, like these things that are sort of conceptual in nature. Right. Um, and that kind of coupled with my aptitude for technology. I talked about starting the first internet cafe. This was really Um, it was a a really great marriage and it was just market timing. I mean, that was, you know, 95, 96 ish. No, sorry. A little bit later, Uh, but it was really the rise of the internet. So now all of a sudden you had all these tiny little micro businesses who needed people to come in and help them with this stuff. Right. Um, You know, there was, you know, there's Silicon Valley, but there was also Silicon alley in New York city. So, um, yeah, it was it was very fast. Okay, and I became a freelance bookkeeper. I think it was about twenty two at the time, and I stayed straight through. So
1: yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so wh- why do you think you enjoy and you're good at bookkeeping? Because as you mentioned, it takes a certain a certain type. Um, it's some people hate it, some people love it. But why do you think you enjoy doing the bookkeeping? Well,
2: there's there's two. There's two reasons. Um, I love making order out of chaos. You know, I grew up in a household that was, you know, covered with, with plastic covers and, you know, I'm a very organized <laughs> person. I don't, like, um, I don't like chaos. So going in and, you know, untangling numbers is just, per- it's just something that I enjoy doing. I know it sounds <laughs> insane.
1: But- no, I get it. I guess I, that's one of the reasons it appeals to me is I like, I like the neatness of it, the precision of it.
2: Yeah, and um, it's very methodical. I mean, now data entry is—it's a fraction of what it used to be with with automation. Right. I, but I used to like really get into it. You know, I put on my house music <laughs> and I would just like or piano, and I would just type away, and I'd get, you know, it was almost like a little bit of a meditation. Yeah. Um, but now one of the things because you know now I have a whole team. We are a team of eight. Um, I think one of the most gratifying things to me is. Bookkeeping finances and taxes can be so painful for small business owners, for for any business owner, really. And to give people that peace of mind and to be that like rock solid for them and to all of a sudden bring illumination to them where there was like darkness and, you know, cloud, you know, there's like things are fuzzy and not clear is very gratifying. Um, You know, my oldest client, has been with me for 17 years. Um, Not far behind him is one who's been with me for 16 years. So um, our clients have a tendency to stay with us for a really long time for that reason. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, it's such a great point. I mean, I see it, you know, as you're describing that, that, that pain and people listening right now have that pain. So many business owners that you and I talk to, you more than I, they're just, you know, they're, they're busy with everything else. And they've got this, this looming thing that they know they have to get on top of, which is their, their finances, their bookkeeping, and it's a mess. And they know it's a mess, but it's just like this thing that they just can't get, seem to get their arms around it. And then you come and help them with that. And it's gotta be such a relief for them.
2: It really is. I mean, I think a lot of our testimonials speak to that. Um, you know, so that, you know, that makes the work feel purposeful. I, yeah. I do think it's important that you feel um, connected to your work. Um, you know, you don't always have to be, like, passionate about it. I know, like, that's, like, the super key catch <laughs> where, like, oh, follow your passion. I'm like, no, no, right. no, follow the profit first. Exactly. And then, like, you know, passion. Okay, like, I, I have chickens and I garden. And it's like, you know, but it's not making me any money.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad um, you but, say that, yeah.
2: Yeah, but feeling connected to your work is really important. And and I do. I I definitely feel that way.
1: Yeah, and seeing the 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 value that, that you produce. But you know, just to go off an attention for a moment, I gotta believe, Justine, I want to get your thoughts that that's one of the reasons why so many small business owners have such a mess with their finances and bookkeeping. I'm going to use those terms interchangeably here in this conversation. Is I, I think the the shame of it, the embarrassment of it, and so it's almost like they don't want to talk about it, very similar to how we don't talk about finances often in our personal lives what are your thoughts on that
2: so i i absolutely agree with that i think that especially because you know the gig economy is not going away um solopreneurship is not going away i think you're just going to see more of it i absolutely believe that um small business finance should be part of high school curriculum
0: Mm -hmm.
2: for sure and uh I think the other thing is too, is that the feedback that I've gotten from my clients is a lot of times they are working with accounting professionals or bookkeepers who are a little bit flippant and they don't take the time to explain things to them properly. And, um, that makes them feel even more disconnected and like stupid, right? Um, like, Oh, I don't know what a balance sheet is. Like, I don't, they're talking to me right now and I'm just glazing over cause I don't even know what they're saying. Um, so I think that exacerbates the problem. So we need to, we need just basic education. And, um, I really encourage all small business owners to evaluate the relationships with their financial professionals and make sure that they're getting the attention that they need. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's very overwhelming and you know, it is. tax law is constantly changing. So right. It's not easy.
1: Yeah, it's a moving target. But, but your point, is it's almost like I equated to the, the bedside manner uh, that a doctor can have or not have. Similarly, this can be so intimidating. And then that's why I always say when people go to look for a bookkeeper or a CPA, one of the key things, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, and what to look for is, do, do you feel comfortable with that person? Did they, if you leave there feeling like they made you feel stupid or, or confused, then that's not the right person for you. Um, all right, before Absolutely. we move into the, the details of it, wh- why, why did you want to be your own boss? What is it that drives you then and, and what drives you now to have your own business?
2: So my aunt, when I was a child, owned a deli. And um, I remember I would play behind the counter after she would close up shop. And I remember just thinking, I'm like, wow, I want to own my own store which was kids speak for, I want to be an entrepreneur. So I think it was something that I was born with.
1: What do you think appealed to you was, because sometimes at that age, it can be this, you know, this is a fun game. We can play shop, but there must've been something that you saw that really connected with you. Can you, can you remember what it was?
2: Um, I think, I mean, I think I was kind of just naturally always a leader Okay. You know, back okay. then in the, in, in my age, we called it bossy, you know, it was a <laughs> negative connotation. Now we call, um, you know, it's, it's about leadership. So I think from the get, I understood that. Um, but I, I will tell you one of the, like, when I really knew was, I remember I, I left this nine to five job that was terrible. Right. And then all of a sudden I was freelancing Yeah. and it was like. Oh wait, like I don't have to like on Wednesday. I want to go to you know I want to go and have coffee with a friend. So now I will start work at one o'clock, right? Yeah. Um, when I got that first taste of time freedom, which is what how I refer to having control over your own schedule, that was like oh no, no no, we're never going back to that full time game. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> you absolutely. know. And I do work full time. Let's not you know I, and many during tax time even more than that, but. I can control when I'm working those hours.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That was the same for me. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing that.
2: Yeah. You know, autonomy over your schedule, they know is directly related to your happiness. It's really not to be undervalued at all. Agreed.
1: All right. Let's dive into it a bit more. Um, I want to start at a, at a high debt level definition of what bookkeeping typically entails. Cause I think a lot of people, I know I used to be confused about bookkeeping accounting, what a CPA does, what a bookkeeper does just give us that, that broad high level. And I know it's, there are gray areas and overlapping areas, but what do we mean when we say bookkeeping?
2: So the way this question comes up for me all the time, particularly with new clients and the way that I explain it is, um, your bookkeepers are like your ground troops, right? And your CPA and your financial advisors are like the, they're flying over on the plane and they're directing, they're directing the troops where to go and what to do. So, Bookkeepers are responsible for adding two plus two to equal four and then the accountants and the financial advisors decide Where that is going to end up on the tax return and then also use that number to Help the business owner make bigger financial decisions or understand the tax implications of that Mm -hmm. so our main function is to compile the data in a complete and accurate way so that the business owner can work with their team of financial professionals to achieve financial success. Okay. And for me, one of the things that I advise my clients about is it's what I call the financial trifecta. It's your bookkeeper, your accountant, and your financial advisor should be working in concert with you because they're all, they're all, all three of those are individualized areas of expertise.
1: Okay. Very good. Very well explained. That makes sense to me. Um, I thought I might ask, what are your thoughts for small business owners on, on those practices, those techniques, you know, the, the, the way that we process stuff? Are there some things that you see that are, that are common things that, that you recommend that people do to manage it? So for bookkeeping, for example, we're talking about here in part paying the bills, for example so and you you would include payroll as well as following falling under bookkeeping or how do you categorize that
2: so i would include payroll payroll as a bookkeeping function um for like a micropreneur or small business when you start to hit that area you know 8 10 plus employees At that point, you almost need somebody devoted just to HR. Just to HR, yeah. Yeah, just because, just insurance alone is so complicated to navigate. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I mean, there's a lot of great companies out there now that integrate payroll and insurance, but um, it's part of that.
1: Yeah, so Um, the bulk of it then is uh, paying my bills, collecting money, accounting for all of that in whatever system I'm keeping it in. Is that fair?
2: So I think actually bookkeeping itself is, is really about aggregating the data. So like paying bills is one thing, but if you pay a bill today, you're not going to know that you paid that bill unless it's in some sort of system, unless it's in spreadsheet or QuickBooks or something like that. Um, and the purpose of bookkeeping is, it, you know, one of the things that people don't discuss too much is there's actually two functions of an accounting system the first is managerial, right? We wanna take those numbers and make decisions like, right. oh, white t-shirts are selling better than black t-shirts and you know, order inventory in relation to those, that information. Um, but the second function of the accounting system is, is for filing taxes. And, and those two things do, you know, they, they have two different functions. So it's not just paying bills, really bookkeeping is about compiling your data so that you can make decisions and file taxes.
1: Okay, but let's start at the beginning of it. To get that data into some kind of a system, What? Uh, how do you typically help people initially, especially if they've got no process or system, to get organized?
2: Yeah, so we always go back to the source documents, and your source documents are your bank and your credit card statements and PayPal, if you use PayPal. So that's really what you want to be looking at. Um, People are like, well, I have my receipts. And I say, that's great. Stick them in a shoebox. You're going to need them if you get audited. But really what I want to see is the bank and credit card data. And we always encourage our clients to use their credit or debit cards whenever possible. So that way we can capture every single transaction that's related to business. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So it used to be in New York City that we did need the receipts because you could only pay for a taxi in cash. But- you know, now with Uber and everything else, Lyft, um, if you looked at your if you looked at your bank statement, those travel expenses would be captured there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where you want to start. Is your the source documents are always your bank and your credit card statements because that captures the financial information. Sure. captures all the money that you received and all the money you spent.
1: But the paper side of it, Justine, like you mentioned, with receipts, uh, whether they're paper electronic, how do you recommend people store that most efficiently?
2: Receipts or statements or both?
1: Well, both. I mean, statements nowadays, you know, that's easy to get them. They're going to be electronic. So, you know, I know what I've been doing is instead of printing out that statement, because there's no reason to, I save it electronically. But, uh, you know, a receipt, a paper receipt when I pay for whether it's a T&E or whatever it might be, um, especially if I've got the kind of business where maybe I'm buying local raw materials or components or tools or whatever, those uh, time when I end up with physical receipts, which I think we still have a lot of. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend to your clients now to scan those and digitize them or leave them in paper and file them away a certain way? That's what I'm trying to get at because I find that that's where a lot of people, they don't know what to do with all these supporting documents.
2: Right. Okay. So the very first thing I will tell you is if you change banks, it's very hard to get your statements. So if you're on electronic, if you're only receiving electronic statements, typically your bank will send you an email notification that says your statement is now ready for viewing. As soon as you get that email notification, go and download that bank statement. Right. Because if you leave the bank and you get audited, which can basically happen at any time, you might get charged wildly to get get copies of those old documents, particularly checks, Um, We don't really write too many checks anymore, but if you do write checks, download the copies of the checks too. Obviously. Okay, so let me
1: interrupt you there because the downloading of the statements is an obvious one, so I do that, but I don't, um, I don't download a copy of the canceled checks.
2: Right. So most banks, most almost all major banks, not so much with the credit unions, unfortunately, is if you if you see that if you signed into your bank account, you see check number one two three cleared, you can hover over that and it'll be a link yep. and it'll pull up the image right. of that check so you would download that as a PDF just like you would your statement
1: and that's the practice that you recommend even though I've properly accounted for that transaction and whatever tool I'm going to use QuickBooks let's say I, it's properly coded it has a description all that good stuff I still might need to produce the copy of the canceled check
2: yes because if you look at the statement it's only going to tell you that check One, two, three was paid on March 5th for $75. The statement doesn't tell you who that check was payable to. so. But ideally
1: in my systems though, when I wrote that check, I made a note of that, right?
2: Yeah, but let me me follow that thought through. So now you're sitting down with an auditor, your auditor is looking at your general ledger from QuickBooks. They're going to say to you, oh, I see that you classified this in labor. I want to see the check to confirm that you didn't pay your acupuncturist instead.
1: Mm-hmm. So right, because I could have plugged in whatever name in QuickBooks. QuickBooks is not going to confirm that. The check could have actually been to somebody else.
2: Exactly. So um, now in terms of receipts, we have two different types of receipts. We have credit card and debit card receipts, and then we also have cash receipts. What I recommend doing is if you get audited, which basically, you know, there's um, there's no statute of limitations on an audit. The recommend, recommended period of time that you keep documents on file is three years. If you are running payroll and have employees, you have to keep your payroll records for five years. That's, that's federal law. Um, what I recommend with receipts, because most people don't have time to like file them in little pockets or you know, little, like an accordion folder, mm-hmm. is just stick them in a shoebox. God forbid you get audited, you can sort them <laughs> then, right? right? Like, you don't have to go through this whole thing. Like, this is a travel receipt, and this is dining and entertaining, and this is office supplies. Just keep the receipt, you know, cross So, that a, box, a box per,
1: per year, if, if that's Yeah, you know.
2: exactly. Um, I have a tendency to think that it should be something nice-looking, you know, like people are more, uh, like, especially my artists and my creative types, they're more apt to use something that is aesthetically appealing. It's kind of a little hack. Um, for cash receipts though, those aren't recorded in your books, right? They're not, they're not part of your bank statement. Right. So I would keep those in a separate envelope inside of that box. And then you can just tally those up once a month, once a quarter, once a year. It could be once a year if you're really trying to maximize your debit and credit card use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Um, it is a digital copy. My understanding is a digital copy of a receipt is valid. It is. Okay.
2: It's IRS acceptable. So if I wanted to digitize it. Exactly.
1: That's what I'm getting at. More and more there's, especially for the, you know, the, that uh, creative entrepreneur, the solopreneur, you know, there's all of those tools out there. So I'm not accumulating this paper, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you really, and I know this sounds so cliche, but you really have to find what works for you. Like yeah. sometimes fumbling around with your camera to get a picture and a clear picture of the <laughs> receipt. is like, and then you're not using that app. Like you start using it and then you stop using it and you start using something else. Like at a certain point, just stick the receipt in a box.
1: Yeah, 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 it's easy. And what I like about that also is that again, it begins to eliminate this myth or complexity. We don't have to make this very complicated, right? No,
2: The more complicated it is, the less likely you are to use it. So in in the design world, there's form and function, right? And particularly in in mid-century design, it was how many things can you strip away from the design without losing the function of it? And for me, I'm always using that principle in designing accounting systems for my clients. How many things can we strip away from this process to make it as easy as possible without the risk of losing the integrity of the data.
1: Right, okay, that makes sense. All right, let's 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 talk about tools and accounting systems. We, we've alluded to it already. What's your recommendation there as to what type of systems I use? And I'm not, you know, could be, it doesn't necessarily mean the brand, but what types of systems do I, should I have?
2: I think it's very important that you use a piece of software. I mean, we work exclusively with one type of accounting software. Um, there are several on the market or you can just use Google Docs or a spreadsheet. But harnessing the power of software is really important at this point. Who wants to be manually adding up a bunch of debits and credits on a piece of ledger paper? I mean, that kind of seems seems ludicrous, you know?
1: Right. Especially yeah. because these systems are very easy to use. I mean, I use QuickBooks. I think you use QuickBooks as well. Yeah. And, and there's all levels, right? From the online basic one, which I think now is like 25 bucks a month or something like that on to, mm-hmm you know, full-blown desktop version of it and then fully assisted versions of it. So you can go the whole range in my experience with a tool like that. And like you said, there are others. It's not just QuickBooks out there.
2: Right, and so um, GoodSense is a 100% cloud-based virtual bookkeeping firm. We we work exclusively with QuickBooks Online and everybody on my team, including myself, is a QuickBooks Online Pro Certified Advisor. Um, I made a strategic decision about nine years ago, when you started to see other accounting platforms enter the market, and people were like, "Well, do you work with this one, or do you work with that one?" And, and I didn't really. I, I got my my start using QuickBooks Desktop. Yeah. And um, and I, I really what it, what came back to me was I wanted to create a fine dining experience for bookkeeping, <laughs> meaning that when you go to a really wonderful restaurant, there's very limited things on the menu because everything they prepare is exquisite. Right. Versus if you go to a diner and there's like a thousand things on the menu <laughs> and like nothing is delicious or nothing is great. So I, I had to really make a decision, which is, you know, I think has served us well, but has lost us business. And, you know, at times um, to really focus on that exclusivity and really become experts in what we do, but it's the, a great program for, yeah. for small businesses. It really is. Absolutely.
1: This is Henry Lopez and let's pause for a moment on this episode to introduce you to our new sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. I suspect you're familiar with LinkedIn, but perhaps you've not yet used LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that a position gets filled every eight seconds using LinkedIn Jobs? Hiring the right people is one of the best ways to help grow your business, but it shouldn't become your full-time job. And in our current labor market, it's become even harder to find the right candidates. With LinkedIn Jobs, it doesn't have to be so hard. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability, LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want to hire, people with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that will help you grow your business and why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. A couple of features I personally find extremely useful when using LinkedIn Jobs are the job description templates, because it saves me a lot of time, and the skills keyword, because that's how I can really try to find the right match for the position I'm trying to fill. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want for the posting and you can get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com forward slash how, H-O-W. Again, that's linkedin.com forward slash how to get $50 off your first job post. Or you can just text biz, B-I-Z to 31996, and I will send you the link. Terms and conditions apply. Do you get pushback, and I want to lead into this with with other questions about frauds and scams, but do you get pushback about, oh, I don't want it to be online because it could get hacked? What's your answer to that?
2: So when I first started doing virtual bookkeeping, which was me working out of my apartment instead of going to all these businesses and using FedEx and messengers, so online banking was new and people were like, no way, but it's been part of our practice now for most people, Long enough that most people are comfortable with using a cloud-based solution, um, Intuit and the banks have, you know they are really, really they're I, I believe that they're trying their best when it comes to security. Unfortunately, there's dark forces in the universe at work, <laughs> but you know I mean, Intuit takes it so seriously, and they have pages and pages of stuff that they do on their website that you can find. I have a few holdouts. Um, but they're the clients that have been with me for a super long time and they're just like, meh, like I'm not into it. You know? <laughs> Interesting.
1: All right. So related to that, you know, because frauds and scams are happening. They happen every day. Can you share some tips, techniques that you um, that you recommend to try to avoid those things? I mean, most recently, a, a celebrity, I can remember her name, who's on Shark Tank it was a classic, somebody passed through an invoice and it seemed like it was real and her people paid it, right? Oh
2: my God. That <laughs> happens to us all the time. It
1: happens. So how, how, what are some things that I can implement to help me avoid that?
2: I think, you know, if you're a solopreneur or a small business owner, you're paying your own bills, but the practice that we have here is we never pay a bill for a client without written approval. And we have had weird things come in. And sometimes it's just a gut intuition. Like I was working for a very famous fashion photographer. It was all over the world all the time. And somebody sent me a wire transfer request from his assistant's email. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, this, this is just an outlier. Like this is not what we normally do. I, I don't, I have never heard of this. And I sent him a text message. And he was like in Zimbabwe or something. And I was like, is this legit? And he was like, no. So um, the first. So when is, when
1: you say a written request, what do you mean then? Not an email then?
2: No, no. We we communicate with our clients via email. We, okay. we have a number of different ways that we do it. I mean, you know, we have over a hundred clients, so we uh, the the protocol changes slightly. Yeah. For for everybody, sometimes it's me getting on the phone and saying, "Hey, Henry, I have these five bills. These are the amounts. This is who it's payable to. Um, sound good to you? Yeah. Okay. Great. Can you just shoot me an email that? you approve bill payments this week and something simple like that sometimes it's more elaborate where we generate a whole ap report
0: mm-hmm. and we
2: make recommendations and the client signs off on it um but in that way we have a, a stopgap in place um for for those sorts of things
1: yeah um any other thoughts on how, how to avoid those things? Do, do you find, in your experience, you know, the, the big ones, like the one I'm referring to is $400,000. Those make the news, but I, is it usually smaller amounts that people are being targeted with? What are you seeing out there that people should look out for?
2: Well, small businesses don't really have any wiggle room usually right a ton of it anyway
1: right so I mean if I get a I'm not gonna have a hundred thousand dollar check request slip through because that would be well, good luck getting that out of my bank right but a but a five thousand dollar one might right
2: yeah so I think absolutely you should have um email, email notifications like for me on my American Express if anything is over five hundred dollars I get an email like a large person large purchase notification I think that's really important, I think just touching base with your bank account, kind of keeping it in front of your face is really important. yeah, The New York Times did an article I'd like to tell you it's two years ago, but I, to be honest, I read so much, I have no idea what it was <laughs> but it was it was about um sounds cliche again. It was about this team of Russian hackers. It was very small, like eight or ten of them, and they they did like the like, you know, it was like five, 10, $20 at a time. But then at the end of it, cumulatively speaking, they hit so many different accounts. It was like a kabillion dollars. So, mm-hmm. yeah. those sorts of things. So, really just staying in touch with your money is so important. That is part of good money practice, uh, daily money habits is, you know, if you catch something six months down the line, you have no recourse. No
1: recourse, yeah.
2: And um, so, I know that the, um, the instinct for a lot of people is to just stick their head in the sand. Oh, I, you know, I have, my bank balance is positive today. You know, I don't need to look or my bank balance is negative today. I don't want to look like (laughs) that's the default. So we want to, um, you definitely need to stay engaged.
1: Yeah. I always say that, you know, with finances, with bookkeeping, while that is something that you delegate as soon as you can, typically, it doesn't mean that you relinquish your responsibility as the business owner to have your thumb on it, to see what's happening, to review the reports. And I always recommend that certainly that that bank statement and the reconciliation of it is something you have to look at at least once a month. What what are your thoughts there?
2: So first as a tip for your listeners here about how to hire a bookkeeper, one of the things that you wanna ask is what's part of your monthly practice? And if they don't say monthly reconciliations, that is not the bookkeeper for you. I can't tell you how many times we get QuickBooks files and accounts have never been reconciled. Now, reconciled or reconciliation might be one of those terms that new business owners are not acquainted with. So, let me just take a moment to explain that. A reconciliation means that you look at your accounting software and you look at your statement and you make sure that both are the same. So, if your bank statement says you had $10,000 worth of debits this month and $15,000 worth of deposits, your accounting software should say the same thing so it's making sure that the debits and credits in your bank equal the debits and credits in your accounting system mm-hmm. it is a critical process of the bookkeeping system because without that you could miss whole chunks of transactions i love quickbooks online i do but it gets disconnected from the banks right so and if it gets disconnected it's not downloading all your transactions so um that's absolutely Part of the monthly bookkeeping process is downloading those statements and reconciling them for sure.
1: What else do you advise people look for when they're hiring a bookkeeper?
2: I think experience does matter. If not experience, at least enthusiasm, right? (laughs) You need somebody like maybe, you know, people hired me when I was young and fresh because I was super enthusiastic and I, you know, I would stay all night long and rip a system apart to figure it out, you know? Um, but I do think that experience matters. I mean, QuickBooks, the QuickBooks Online Pro Certification is a pretty rigorous certification. So I think that's a really good indication. If you're, if you're hiring an individual bookkeeper, like somebody to come on staff, I would absolutely do a background check. I think it's critical. Um, goodhire.com, I don't, you know, I don't have a relationship with them. It's just one of, it's the one that we use here.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, has a reasonable background check. You do have to get written permission from the person you're looking into. If you're using a company, you want to make sure that they have an errors and omissions policy. So that means if they make a mistake and it costs you money, they have an insurance policy in place to handle that. Um, And then also, too, like good vibes, right? Like goes back to what you said before. Do you gel with this person? Do they feel good to you? Um, You know, are they patient? Are they responsive? All of these things are really important
1: yeah great tips there uh, what uh, I know it varies by region widely, but what should I be expecting to pay for bookkeeping services on a monthly basis? Can you give me a range of what that should look like
2: that's that's really hard to do and um, I don't want to get in trouble with my colleagues, but let me I'll give you a little bit of background, which I hope will be useful um typically, there's two different ways that bookkeeping and accounting firms charge they charge either hourly, which is how we base our services, and, um, or they charge a flat rate, which is also known as value-based billing. Um, I do think that it's a good idea to get several quotes. I think that, um, make sure that you're getting an apples to apples comparison. I I don't think that any bookkeeper worth their salt, um, who's a freelancer, charges like less than $40 to $50 an hour. Bookkeeping firms like ours, you'll pay more for, but we have other services in place. So it really, it really ranges.
1: Yeah, but that that gives me an idea. What, what, what's your thought on when as a small business owner or a solopreneur, I'm ready or should hire a bookkeeper? Because we can always say, you know, right away, but that's not realistic for a lot of us when we're starting out, right? So Uh,
2: that's actually not the advice I give, but don't tell my accounting people.
1: (laughs) So what is the (laughs) advice that you give on when I should hire? And when I say hire, I'm probably not meaning I'm going to W2 hire, meaning I'm going to contract with someone. Yeah. Yeah,
2: sure. Okay. So actually the, like I have, I have businesses that came to me and you know, they, they haven't even gotten their formation documents back yet. Like they have no activity at all. And, and our services, you know, just to be frank, they start, started around $400 a month. That's just our target market and who we work with. And I just say to my very new entrepreneurs, look, I'll happily take your money. But as a business owner, I want to share with you, I think that you can use this money more wisely in marketing and generating new business for yourself. And then once you get established, come back to me and we're going to make sure that you're all taken care of. Yeah. Um, I really do think that bookkeeping is definitely one of the first things off of your plate, but when you're really brand new, you really have to focus on sales and marketing. And if you're a solopreneur, maybe sales training, which is very valuable. I think that in terms of offloading it, I think that, you know, you start to crest that hundred, $150,000 mark. You might want to think about it. I mean, certainly over a quarter million, you know, you don't, it's when, it's when your time is more valuable than this time you're spending or the frustration you're feeling when you're doing it yourself. Yeah. So for example, if it's taking you six hours to get through your monthly bookkeeping and you only have a checking account, that's a problem. Like you need to delegate it.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, you don't, one of the things I also share with clients is, you know, you don't make money doing bookkeeping. You make money doing whatever it is that you do, that's whether right. it's graphic design or, writing or coaching or selling digital products. So um, your time is is more valuable than you pulling your hair out fighting with QuickBooks.
1: Absolutely. I agree. So the question I always ask as I start to wrap up the the deeper dive here is where do people get started? But, you know, I, I think that my thought is, and I want to obviously get your opinion is that part of it is from day one, while you're going to do it yourself, I think a key part of it is, is picking a tool, whether it's QuickBooks online or whatever it might be. But I think you need that from day one and try to instill that discipline from day one of trying to get everything in there. Even if you don't know what account it goes to, you know, I like the, if you're not quite sure, put it in the, you know, review with the accountant bucket, right? But that's kind of my thinking. What, what other tips do you have for, I'm getting started in business. I'm going to do it myself initially because of the finances of it. What do I need to do?
2: So I think you're right. You should pick a tool um, and you should pick what uh, something that's automated. The other thing I would really advise is if you are going to do it yourself and you, and you actually have a little chunk of business behind you, I think it's a solid investment to go and hire somebody like myself who can help you, A, get QuickBooks set up correctly because mm. the setup is really tricky. It is. And if it's, it, and if it's set up incorrectly, undoing it takes three times as long and will cost you like five times more money um, and do and, and invest in a little training. Right? So sometimes we do what we call QuickBooks online startup packages where we'll do that. And then we'll include some training and, Oh, oh all right, Henry got stuck like three months later. I can't figure this thing out. We, you know, we'll just hop in and help people. Um, to me, that's really important because I, I sometimes have a five to seven year sales trajectory. Somebody will hear me on a podcast, remember me in three years and hire me to, do a QuickBooks startup package and then we start doing monthly bookkeeping and then all of a sudden we're doing weekly bookkeeping for that. Yeah, so yeah. we really try to maintain and cultivate those relationships long-term.
1: Yeah, no, that's great advice because I find that again and again, even myself being very experienced and they try, but it's still, you know, what is this chart of account thing? And how do I, you know, how do I set it up? And how do I connect my bank accounts? Those, those kind of basic things may well worth be, worth hiring someone to get you through that startup part of it.
2: Well, and that's the whole thing too. It's like, I love it. Clearly, I've shared a lot of, a lot of love for them on this episode. Um, but they're also super savvy marketers. So they speak to the small business market. They've been speaking to them for, what, 30 years?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's marketed as like, oh, it's an open the box and use it program. Yeah. And listen, <laughs> we all know that all software requires a learning curve, some more than others. But this is your money. Um, so I, what I see happen is like, Oh, I signed up for QuickBooks six months ago. I looked at it once and I forgot about it. Yeah. You know, and if you get somebody to set it up for you and teach you like, boom, like you've solved like a, a huge hurdle right there.
1: Agreed. Agreed. All right. We've uh, obviously been touching on it, but, but summarize for us or tell us the stuff we haven't heard yet about your business and the, the services that you offer through good sense bookkeeping.
2: Sure. So Good Sense Bookkeeping has uh, been around as a corporation for 12 years. We offer virtual bookkeeping services um, all across the country. Our clients are all across the country. Uh, our services vary from QuickBooks Online startup packages to monthly and weekly bookkeeping. We also have a CFO component for certain clients. Uh, for my brand new entrepreneurs who are just starting out, I do have a a digital program, Chief Wealth Officer, which is available on the website. That's Good Sense, C-E-N-T-S, like dollars and cents, bookkeeping. So that's GoodSenseBookkeeping.com. I think it's like $39. It's super cheap.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
2: just talks about the basics. It talks about the first it's, – it's five modules. Each video is less than 15 minutes, so it's bite-sized and manageable. I talk about accounting vocabulary, so you can go in and have educated conversations with your financial professionals. I talk about the three primary reports that you need to know, the profit and loss, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement, as well as how to keep your documents organized, which we just talked about. Yeah. So that's, that's where you find us. And you can also find us on Instagram, of course, and Facebook.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to start. So we'll have a link for that on the show notes page of this episode at the howabusiness.com in case you didn't get that be sure to take advantage of that. that that's a great a no-brainer investment to at least get that first level of knowledge. Uh, and speaking of knowledge, I'm always looking for book recommendation. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend?
2: Oh, there's so many. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we I chatted. Know.
1: The truth is we chatted before we started recording and I had to convince you to give one. <laughs>
2: well, one of the things, one of my daily practices, is I try to read 30 minutes every morning before Wonderful. I start my day. Wonderful. Oh, it's So relaxing. Um, but 168 Hours by Laura Vanderkam. That book really changed my life. She's a wonderful writer. She has a whole bunch of other stuff, but it's really about everybody has 168 hours in the week. It's 24 hours times seven days to study into time management and um, genius book.
1: Wonderful. Speaking of time management, is there, is there a hack, a technique, a tool, something you've applied here in the last year or two that, that you would recommend?
2: Oh, okay, so in terms of time management, um, I'm not a big notification person. First of all, I think it, I think if you look at the studies of concentration, it's really bad for your brain. so f- using focused time with intention will help you blast through tasks and if you're saving time on tasks, you're saving time all over. Um, I'd recommend canning email on your phone.
0: Mm. I
2: know that's probably heresy, but um, <laughs> It really changed my life as a mom. Um, I got an email one day, I was making dinner in my kitchen, it was about six thirty at night, seven o'clock, and it made me so upset. Like wow. I burst into tears and my dinner with my family was ruins.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it no, really, I it love really that. changed my I took it off for vacation and I never put it back on. Yeah, and I have I do not have life. email on
1: my phone and, and you and I were chatting about this a little bit, but to me, there's nothing that important that I need to get immediately through an email. The people who have anything urgent can call me. Yeah. it uh, can wait.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wonderful. Yes. Thanks. Really just being intentional with your time.
1: Absolutely. So thanks for that and thanks for the book recommendation. All right, let's wrap it up. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation about bookkeeping for small business owners? What what's one thing you want us to, to want to leave us with on this?
2: No shame, no blame. Like if you're feeling intimidated by it, you know, if you hate it, you're so not alone. Just know that you can handle this. It's not as enigmatic as you think it is. Um, And invest a little time and effort into it. And it's, it will, it's easier than you think. It really is.
1: Well said. I, I think that, that really nails it. That's, that's the thing I have found as well, Justine, that, that holds people back on this. Um, and they just, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but the the relief that you're going to feel when you get your arms around this or started, you know, I always found that with things like this, and this falls in that category, I always found that once you start making, once you start getting into it and it starts becoming more clear, there's this sense of relief that comes with it. Right. And so now sometimes I think we avoid it because maybe that we don't want to hear what the numbers are going to tell us. But what we've yeah. got to be mature about that and get our arms around it, yeah
2: yeah, i mean i, I the the expression that I use is a it's a brain splinter, it's like <laughs> something that's in your brain and you can feel it and it's like giggling right. at you and and then you pluck that splinter out, you stop thinking about it i mean once you get a once you get your arms around it, like you said, it is really gonna give you so much more brain space and peace to be able to do the things in your business that make you money,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's also going to then give you clarity sooner to what is going on in your business financially.
2: Absolutely. All
1: right. Where do you want us to go online again to find out more?
2: Oh, sure. Okay. So the website is www.goodsensebookkeeping.com. Instagram is Good Sense Bookkeeping. Facebook is Good Sense Bookkeeping and so is Twitter. Um, So I hope you'll come and reach out and I can be of any help to anybody. I'm I'm always happy to, to chat with my fellow entrepreneurs. I really do enjoy helping people.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for that, Justine. This has been a great conversation. These are the kind of conversations I love having where we get some actionable tips and advice, especially on something like this that's difficult as we've shared with for a lot of people. So thanks for making the time and thanks for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much, Henry. I really appreciate it.
1: This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Howa Business. My guest today, again, was Justine Lackey. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, other platforms, as well as at our website, thehowabusiness.com, or just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I'll reply with a link to more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.